Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is The View from the Gladys Street, a podcast by the fans for the fans. As we go on the terraces to discuss all the big talking points at Everton Football Club. Hello and welcome to this week's Everton Fan Podcast on the Royal Blue Acast channel. I'm Ian Kroll and I'm back on hosting duties for the View from the Gladys Street podcast after pulling out of last week's show due to a last minute injury. I can neither confirm nor deny my absence has anything to do with Everton's capitulation at Newcastle. Um, Absolutely no comment on that one, but a big thanks to Paul Wheelock for stepping in. Anyway, moving on, let's introduce today's guests. To my left, we have Max Carlisle from the Toffee Blues Twitter account. You all right, Max? Yeah, very fine, thanks. Um, and sat in front of me, we have Connor O'Neill. You all right, Connor? Evening, Ian. You okay, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Thanks very much. Um, before we begin, I'll just give a quick run-through of today's agenda. We will, of course, start with Chelsea. Um, Everton's 2-0 win. Did Silva get lucky, or is he a genius after the, the second-half display? Um, Jordan Pickford also makes the list, and whether England's number one position is more of a hindrance than an advantage... We'll also touch upon Ross Barkley and his unfortunate return to Goodison Park. We'll also discuss, just to finish off, um, France Football um, Twitter account on their website, their, their top 50 football managers of all time. They made a list this week and they uh, basically missed out Howard Kendall, so we'll have a little uh, comment on that and a little discussion on that as well. There's that and plenty more. Um, so, Connor, go on, we'll start with you. 25 long games Everton went without beating any of the established top six sides in the Premier League dating back to January uh, January 15th 2017 and this is Silva's ninth time of asking against a top six team what did you make of uh, Chelsea or what did you make of the Chelsea performance contrasting really I mean I think if if we'd have been doing this podcast off the back of just the first half display it would be a totally different one to probably the one we're going to we're going to go into it was just chalk and cheese, wasn't it? The, the first half, we were slow, laboured, gave Chelsea far too much time and space. And the feeling inside the ground was that it was just a matter of time before Chelsea got their opening goal. And once they got one, you kind of thought, well, they'll get two or three, yeah. We didn't threaten, we didn't we didn't look like scoring a goal, we showed, we showed nothing really. Uh, probably, arguably, one of the worst 45 minutes of football under the silver era. Um, certainly... T- t- it kind of didn't do much to improve the moves from the, the Newcastle capitulation the week before, but whatever he said at half-time works an absolute treat because they were a, a, a totally different side, second half, and for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, we, we were outstanding. We, we we scored a really good goal off the corner, got a penalty, got a bit of luck with the the rebound form back out to Sigurdsson, to, who, who struck the ball home, and we played with a real hunger, you know, desire, energy, and a bit of aggression which we haven't seen for Everton in a long time and it gave the fans something to shout about and they, and they responded Connor, uh, Max sorry is Connor's first half assessment not a little bit harsh on Silver and Everton I mean we're, we're playing or we did play Chelsea you know a top six side you know world, world class players we were never going to have it our own way for the full 90 were we did, did Chelsea not just make us look bad or were we that bad 
No, I think Connor's very fair in his evaluation there. Even Silver said himself after the game that the players seemed to lack complete focus and, you know, it looked like they were picking up where they left off following the Newcastle game, you know, like a complete collapse, as you said. You know, we were, you know, putting it simply, we were lucky not to be 3-0 down. Eden Hazard, if it wasn't for Jordan Pickford in the post, Eden Hazard forced a good save out of Pickford, hit the post and Higain forced a good save out of Pickford. Um, players, as you mentioned, world-class players, Eden Hazard, even Ross Barkley in particular in that first half, were giving far too much time on the ball. They weren't being marked tightly enough. And as I say, we were very, very lucky not to be behind at that break. Um, but, you know, following on from what Connor said about the second half, I think that the tone was set when Dominic Calvert-Lewin played that early ball across the six-yard box for Bernard. I mean, he's about two foot one, so he didn't quite latch onto it. But, you know, it got the Gladys Street up for it. And, you know, as Connor said, the, uh, the performance just so much better. Was that... Just a turning point then, that cross, because there's not really, obviously, Everton will come out in the second half, obviously Silva's give them a bit of a rollicking, but since like that ball went in, that cross went in, you know, a couple of, the, couple of inches away from Bernard, it and it away, you know, what was that the turning point? Just getting the ball into the box yeah, and not arg- the chance? Arguably, it, it was a, you know, it was a clear statement of intent that, you know, we are going to perform differently in this second half. Um, you could you could have said, you know, looking at that first half performance, that we were trying to emulate our performance at Stamford Bridge in November, I think it was, where you know we pressed up to the halfway line and we were a very solid defensive unit. But that did, you know that didn't translate at Goodison. They were finding far too much room in behind. But um, you know we met fire with fire in that second half, and you know as, as you did mention, Chelsea didn't look the same team in that second half. They struggled to contain us, and I thought we performed absolutely fantastically and fingers crossed this will you know be a catalyst to pick up some better results going forward Do we get lucky then Connor? I mean obviously it, it wasn't the game plan was it as Silva's already come out and said you know we didn't you know try and you know stall Chelsea or whatever and then cut then think to come out in the second half and, and blow them away the, the players just weren't at the races really at the, the first half and then he's, he's like I said he's given them a rollicker and things obviously changed Yeah Did we get lucky Perhaps a little bit. I think, you know... Obviously, Chelsea have had a couple of chances at the post. Chelsea have hit the post. You no, know, Mina got back and made a, a good intervention on, on Higuain where he's, he's gone clean through. And it's kind of softened softened the effort in some respects, allowing Keane to get back and hook her off the line. I think if Mina hadn't made that intervention, Higuain would have scored because he probably took the nets. He'd have took the nets off. So, yeah, we, we did get a little bit of luck, but you'll probably say we drew a little bit of luck. You know, so people probably... So, it's it swings and roundabouts. I mean... The thing with, with me with Chelsea on on Sunday was I think from certainly from what what I've read from their fans afterwards was they kind of knew at half time what what was coming because mm. they felt I think a lot of Chelsea fans felt that they dominated from start to finish in the first half and got no reward. And normally in football it very rarely happens where you, you dominate and then get your reward second half. It's normally like we saw on Sunday, there's a reaction yeah. and you're left to kick yourself and I think Graeme Shuness alluded to it afterwards on his, his post-match Sky show when he said at times they looked a bit of a five-a-side team and I think second half once we started to close the gaps we pushed higher up the pitch we played a little bit more paced energy yeah they kept the ball well but they didn't actually do anything with it they didn't actually you know break us down he didn't really get in behind and I think you've got to pay testament to Silver in the place for, for doing that just for stopping the overload and stopping the Chelsea carving us open like they did in the first half. Why can't we seem to do this every game then? Because okay, I you know uh, 
I appreciate it's hard for a good to do it for a full 90 minutes, but the top team still do it for a full 90 minutes. We're just 45 minute performances sometimes throughout, and that's where it hasn't been enough, especially against the, the bigger teams, even the smaller teams now. Obviously, Chelsea, great first half, weren't they? Um, but what is it? Is it is it a mentality thing or is it just a quality thing? It's a difficult one to put to really put your finger on because it's not even as if we do it in sort of or we start really well but then fade or we start really poorly but come good come strong towards the end because we've seen so far this season we've had good first half performances but then bad first bad second half performances and then the opposite way around I mean you look at Newcastle we were very yeah. good for the first you know 45 minutes yeah. but then suffered a total collapse in the last half an hour whereas on Sunday we were dreadful for 45 minutes but then really come in with the, the sort of the opening half now of the second half so yeah. it's a difficult one to put your finger on I mean I think your question really is Silver's ultimate task now from the end of the season in how does he maintain maintain that his sides perform consistency and performance perform like that because ultimately it's a worry that we do start the way we do but at the same time I suppose from a man management point of view you could be happy that they're responding to his half time team talk so it's a difficult one and I think it's one that even Silver himself will probably struggle to put his finger on because we've seen it so far this year so many times where it's just been so stop start that at times it's been more than worrying I mean um, Max love to be a fly on the wall in the, the dressing room or Everton, no matter what the game because as Connor said then you can't put your finger on whether it's a, a good performance in the first half or a good performance in the second half but you know I wonder what Silver says to them at half time because like you said last week you know complete capitulation and then lose the game this week terrible first half performance second half performance was great it'd just be just be interesting to know exactly what he's telling these players because it's mixed mess well I say it's mixed messages but the performances are certainly mixed aren't they yeah of course again consistency has been our main issue particularly since that uh, Merseyside derby collapse in December and just to make my comment on it I have a feeling it uh, could be fit, uh, a fitness issue mm-hmm. if you you look at, for example at the, um, the Merseyside derby at Goodison um, I know that the crowd almost got the players across the line but you look at you know a, a, a key example of how you know tired we were at the end of that game with Dominic Calvert-Lewin he was absolutely fagging at the end of it but he ran his socks off um, and you take a step back look at the players that we brought in in the summer such as Yeri Mina Andre Gomez Luca Dina all these European players that we're bringing in but from Europe for example they haven't played over Christmas they're, they're used to a Christmas break for example and I think Andre Gomez is a good example of over that Christmas period he had a great impact when he first came into the side but he seemed to you know look a lot laggy on the ball mm. and, uh, and not as effective he obviously had that time out come back in and he's looking brilliant again so I, I've got a feeling that obviously this it, it, it's a comment that's bandied about a lot for example when you're bringing a new manager and bringing a you know a horde of new players but it is a, it is a year of transition and I you know touch wood feel like this these group of players once they get a full pre-season under the belt with the new manager their fitness will be a hell of a lot better and we can you know prolong these 45 minute showings into 90 minutes against top sides and a special word for uh, Dominic Carvert-Lewin who was probably the the standout player in the first half or the best of a bad bunch really and in the the second half he was just outstanding again wasn't he yeah he was absolutely fantastic um, I read stats saying he, you know, he won more headed efforts than anyone on the pitch and I think that's a testament to him you look at his performance against Virgil van Dijk in the derby as I said, he, he didn't have much success, 
but he didn't stop for the entire 90 minutes. That is, you know, it's almost as if he learned from that perfor- learned from that performance against Van Dijk, Hoffman and Antonio Rudiger. As I said, one more headed effort than anyone on, on, on the pitch and ran his socks off again. I think, you know, for the younger players like him and Richarlison to do as well as they did in that game, they, they held the ball up really well in the Chelsea half while we flooded men forward. And, you know, Richarlison too, I read a stat saying that he completed more sprints, tackles and won the ball back more than any other Everton player this year. Uh, you, you know, they're so encouraging stats, such encouraging stats to read from young players to see that they're, you know, bearing them responsibility in big games. You look at the games we've got coming up, left, you know, seven games left this league season and, they, you know, some top opposition that we've got left to face. So, fingers crossed, they can turn in similar performances. And is, is Dominic Carver-Lewin, do you think, benefiting from just a complete run of games in in the team now, a consistent run of games in the team because <coughs> Silver hasn't, he's been back and forth, hasn't he? It's either been Richard, he started off with Richarlison and then it was kind of Tosin, Dominic Cavett-Lewin and then again, just swapping and changing. Now Dominic Cavett-Lewin's had a good, probably from the top of my head, five or six games up front and surely he's reaping the re- rewards of that. Yeah, definitely. He's, um, I think he, how many goals he got so far this season? I think it's five or six too. Mm. So in terms of his return in in front of goal, it's certainly improving. And in regards to what Silver's tried with chopping and changing, it's all about finding that happy balance. I personally, I don't feel like Calvert-Lewin is, you know, the mould of a centre-forward to be playing up front on his own. I think he'd benefit with a partner there mm-hmm. or a much more fluid attacking three. But as you say, f- for this run of games that he's getting, for other younger players too, it it's it, it, it's vital for the development, and you know Everton have always had the reputation of you know providing opportunity to younger players. Um, it bumps up the value. You know, a lot of Evertonians will be saying, you know, hopefully we've outgrown the um, you know, we bump up the value then sell them on because you want to see them become the stars that they will be in a royal blue shirt. Mm. But I, I think we will with Dominic Calvert Lewin. He, he's certainly developing both technically and physically. And we've, you know, as long as the players around him keep providing them with the correct service, I think he's only going to improve. Um, Connor, just speaking of consistent run of games uh, for, for obviously Dominic Carver Lewin, Yeri Mina started first game in a in a while um, for Everton. Took took the place of Kurt Zuma. Does he now deserve a consistent run of games in the team? Just we were discussing it before, weren't we? Before we came in, and we were just kind of saying, well. You know, Kurt Zuma is on loan at us. Chelsea, this is this ban is obviously this could affect their transfer strategy, policy, whatever over the next couple of months. Um there's a likelihood now that Zuma won't be a permanent Everton signing. So is it worth Silver sticking or, you know, going with Yeri Mina and Keane as the, as the main partnership in the run in now? Yeah, absolutely. It, it it's not just Kurt Zuma. Yeri, the Yeri Mina conundrum for me I think Silva's almost got to use these next seven games now as a, a sort of a base for next year he's, he's got to start getting his be- who he sees his best 11 as being on the pitch as often as he can for as long as he can to almost build partnerships build combinations build patterns of play to take into next season and to also highlight where we need to improve in key areas and if that means that certain players don't kick a ball because there's no there's no plans for them or they won't Silver doesn't see them having any type of future with the club beyond the end of the season then they don't kick a ball and that's so be it and, and in, in, including that is Kurt Zuma and Adeloma Luckman um, Zuma's 
it's a bit unfortunate with Zuma because I, I would like to see him join permanently because I, I have been impressed with him for, for this year. Mm. But ultimately, if he's not here for the long run and he's not here next season, which it, it doesn't look like it's going to be with the, the, the expected transfer ban that Chelsea are going, to, are going to receive, then it's got to be Eddie Mean and Keane for as long as possible because you've got to give them a chance to grow so, a sort of partnership and give them a chance to get to know each other instead of sticking with Zoom and then come the end of the season he goes back and it's almost like we're starting again we need to give ourselves the best possible base to build on for next season starting now Just out of interest then who are the other players that you would see you know the foundation who for me, pushing on for next season because obviously you'd expect Pushing some... on isn't out the club or... No no sorry pushing on with the club so oh. it's like a foundation so obviously you've got Keane and you're saying Keane and Mina are the foundation um, in the defensive you know fold who are the other players that you think are going to be there next season who Silva's going to need to push on with? Well, Bernard's obviously one, I think it'd be good to see him get a run of games. Calvert-Lewin, again, it'd be good to see him get a run, continue his run of games up top because I think it's, it's quite clear to us all now that, you know, Zeng Tosin's not really favoured at the club and if you believe a lot of what was wrote over January, if Tosin would have accepted a move to any of the moves, I think that he was, he was reportedly, you no. Know, any of the potential interested parties then he wouldn't be an Everton player right now it was more down to him than the club of, of why he stayed with the Blues so Calvert-Lewin Richarlison over Walcott I was just going to say Bernard is probably another player I've missed off who's had a consistent run of games since Cardiff mm-hmm. hasn't he he's been in the yeah, team yeah absolutely look how well he's played I, I think that's why you, you know you stick with him again stick with Richarlison because like I said I don't think Adeloma Luckman's got much of a future left with the club and Theo Walcott's you know, sadly on the decline. Um, the the only real difficult difficulty with with, with that is the is the midfield in the in the heart of midfield because there is lingering doubts over Adishagay's future. You know, it's it's been reported by I think a couple of media outlets that he's still keen on his Champions League football, obviously which he's not going to achieve with Everton anytime soon. And Andre Gomez. Don't be negative. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's just bought me new season tickets. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, and I think with Andre Gomez, it's the same again with him. The fact that he's on loan, although there is reports this afternoon that he's he is Everton are the favourites to, to, to come out and done an interview to, 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 to get him club, on, to so. get to get him on a permanent. So that looks promising. But I think that the, the issue I stick with them to over the rest of the central midfield options we've got is because they're, they're not in any sort of chance Morgan Schneiderland's going to come back in in recent weeks but I think if an offer coming for him he'd bite whoever's hands off it was to get off the, the books in terms of his wages James McCarthy is another one who, who you've got to question is he really in the reckoning he's not really had a sniff even though there's reports that he's back to you know match fitness etc he's not really been given a look in no matter how depleted we've looked at times um, since Christmas so yeah, I'd stick with them. And I think, in, in fairness, the, the start 11 from Sunday is probably his best start 11, which you, you'll stick with anyway for, for large parts of the season because it's it's quite clear that that's the 11 who we now trust and that's who he wants to, who wants to go go with. Okay. Um, Max, we'll just finish off the Chelsea segment. Um, just talking about Ross Barkley. Um, unhappy return for Ross on Sunday. Did you see any improvements in his game since he's left did he did he blow you away in any in any uh, way shape or form you know what 
it's just like Wayne Rooney all over again, isn't it? Really, just the you know the, the same reception from the crowd, the attitude. I'll give credit where credit's due. I do think Ross Barkley is a fantastic player, or he can be a fantastic player, and just hasn't shown it enough yeah. throughout his career, both at Chelsea and at Everton. I think it's what 25, 26 appearances and just three or four goals for Chelsea. Um, I've got a mate who's a you know a diehard Chelsea fan. He says Chelsea um, Barkley's being played out of position, and uh, you know that may maybe why he's not returning on his investment per se, but. I don't know. He's not a he's not a fan favourite at Stamford Bridge by any measures, but there is a very special player there. I still believe uh, it's just whether or not he's he, he can show that. I didn't feel anything for him to be fair. Coming back, I know there was a lot of booze, and to be honest, I think it got to him. I think it got to him a little bit. I mean, do, do, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you not think the clapping incident? Yeah, the, was, the that, was that not? Was the, that, he, he wasn't clapping the Gladys as in that no. was a sarcastic clap for me. But I must admit, taking the blue tinted glasses off. He was actually one of Chelsea's better players. I'm not saying he was, I didn't say he was bad, although saying is, I think it got to him towards the end. Yeah, towards the end. I think the reception at the end, it did obviously with his team getting beat. Yeah. He got roughed up more in the second half, didn't he? Yeah. If I'm, if I'm not wrong. I think, because I, I saw him and he got like a bloody nose or something. Did he? needed to just change his shirt and I know Andre Gomez went through him. I was surprised someone didn't go through him earlier in, in yeah. the first half, to be fair. To That's get obviously the, what we were missing in the first to, half, To, to rile the atmosphere up, exactly. Um, you know, I happened back to to Martinez's first season when we played Arsenal at home, and within the first minute, Stephen Naismith goes straight through Mikel Arteta and Goodison's up on the feet, and and you know a roaring atmosphere, and that was missing in the first half. As I say, we certainly went in, and on the second half, the uh, the crowd and the team got on the same wavelength, and I think you know, Barkley was just out of it. I mean, we'll only know this towards the end of Barkley's career when he's either won trophies or. He's not won trophies, or he's got more England caps. Would you think he'll regret the move that he's that he's made? It's a tough one, isn't it? Because, like you say, it's one that you don't know at the end of his career, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's it is. You know, people criticised Wayne Rooney when he walked off to the Boyle Club, mm. but he went on to win. I think it was a bit different, wasn't it? It was, but <laughs> Barley could still emulate them. Barley could still be successful at Chelsea. You know, if Sally was to go and another manager was to come in, and he was to be in favour, you know. The, the transfer ban could have a massive impact on Barkley because it could see him giving him more regular football over the next two years mm. and the chance to, to win trophies and play in a successful type. But I was actually impressed with him on Sunday. It was a, one. It was the way he plays between the lines in the first half. We, we actually couldn't get near him at times. Mm. He, and in some respects, he gave Gomez the runaround in the first half because he, he couldn't get near him to stop him. And I know he had he had that shot and he had the free kick. He had the free kick, didn't he? And, you know, stuff like that. But at least he was trying to be creative and trying to do things. I completely get I think he was he was ice cold the first half. I thought he played really well. Yeah. And I thought obviously the second half the second half it completely changed with the first half thoughts, you know, you definitely improved. But the real not the real Ross Barkley, but you know, a Ross Barkley which we've seen in the past came through in the second half. Oh yeah, but I think that that's where a lot of plays, isn't it? Because you look at Theo Walkoff, for instance, last year when we signed him, mm. and he came into the team when he scored was it two on his day two on his debut. You know, looked a real threat. Was was kind of like looks. You know, people were saying, "Oh, he's he's a, a big fish here in a, a small pond." You know, he looks. And Arsenal fans were saying, "Yeah, but give it six months and you'll see the real Theo Walcott." <laughs> Lo and behold, six months on, we saw the real Theo Walcott because he went back into his old ways of running off sides and not having no. So it's. It swings and roundabouts and it's just about conforming consistency but 
in terms of Barkley and, and the crowd, I mean, I actually think more players should do stuff like that when they get booed. Should give something back because mm. I think it's it makes makes it better, doesn't it, than just them walking off with the, the red down. He couldn't help himself. I'm, I'm all for it, man. I mean, they should do still more no, stuff I'm not, like not that. Criticizing him for it. I just think it was funny that he lost his head. Yeah, well, I mean, Seamus Coleman lost his head, didn't he, when he scored was against Fulham this year? Or was it Brighton? The home game. And he cupped his ears, didn't he, said yeah, the Gladys yeah. Street. So, and people moaned about that, but I thought that was good. So yeah. I'm, I'm all for stuff like that, so. Okay. Um, let's move on to Jordan Pickford then. He probably pushed Dominic Carver-Lewin for man of the match at um, Chelsea. Some great saves, kept a clean sheet. There's one, one th- question that I've kind of been wanting to base a podcast on for a while, but while it's up in the air and you know Jordan Pickford's mentality and mindset is you know at the fore certainly from uh, the Newcastle game it's a great honour to be England's number one everyone in England you know you want your goalkeeper to be England's number one and you want him to play for that team I remember when I was younger and it was um, David Seaman and it was oh, David Seaman's England's number one and he was the Arsenal keeper you know I was kind of jealous we've got that now in Jordan Pickford but in modern day football is it is it not more of a, a hindrance, do you think? Especially with the amount of, you know, eyes on you and the mistakes. If you make a mistake, it's like... like Arguably, but Everton Football Club have been no stranger to that mm. over the years. You the know. modern day football, though? Possibly. Obviously, I know with the, you know how the international breaks spring upon you and you could argue with, you know, following that World Cup, anyone in that England squad's almost got this near celebrity status almost mm. with the media attention that they received. But I think, you know, you've got to, you've got to credit Jordan Pickford's mentality. He reminds me a lot. And, you know, I don't think he's as good as, and it's yet to be seen, but he reminds me of Oliver Kahn mm. almost with his kind of, not irrational, but his outbursts and his, um, you know, as you say, you know, some of his lapses of concentration and, and mistakes. However, he's still a very young goalkeeper. Goalkeepers can have very, very long careers. And, I've, you know, you've got to be honest. I've read a stat saying that he's kept more clean, kept the same amount of clean sheets as Hugo Lloris and had more clean sheets than David De Gea. I know they haven't had the greatest of seasons, but, hmm. that you know, that's an indicator that he's, he's our goalkeeper. There's no one else that you'd rather have, to be fair. What do you think, Conor? Is it, is it a hindrance to have England's number one in the Premier League as your goalie? Um, well, it's been a bit of a, a case position, hasn't it? Because there's been a lot of goalkeepers who've done well in recent years who, who've become England's number one and have just lost all form. You, you look back at, you know, that's what I mean, like Joe Hart. Joe Hart. You go back yeah. to Rob Green, David James, Paul Robinson. Um, you know, even as far back as David Seaman. You know, Seaman was fantastic, but towards the end of his England career, his form dipped a little bit, and people start to question them. You know, question his thing. Um, that I think it's it, the England number one tag is, is is hard though because right now this minute what English goalkeeper is genuinely pushing pick for four to number one spot I mean Jack Butland was seen as many as the closest rival for a long time when the two of them were kind of in the younger years but he's not playing championship football with Stoke mm. you know Tom Heaton based back on the scene with Burnley but as they've now gone back down the struggling route as an absolute horror show around field a couple of weeks ago and was a fall for three goals then do the I think do the third do the the choice was Nick Pope, but he's sitting on the bench playing back up to Tom Heaton. So it, it, it's it's I don't think it's a case of he's number one. It's it's a hindrance. I think similar to what it's like at Everton, there's no real understudy 
back up pushing them. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no one where you think, oh, well, you know, he could lose his place here because this person or that person is really performing well. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a neck and neck shootout here for uh, who, who can get the one spot. Pickford's rightly got it a couple of years ago and no one's ever really stood up to the mantle since and challenged them. So, I mean, I don't deny that Pickford's definitely the best thing on goalkeeper that is available at the moment. I just maybe think the media just jump on the goalies, don't they, straight away when, when something goes wrong. And to an extent, you know, fans have as well since yeah. the Newcastle game. He's took a lot I, of criticism. I, I, I think a lot of it is, is his attitude and his, his demeanour at times, isn't it? It's it's not the best, if we're, if we're being honest. You know, you look, you look at that video at Newcastle where he's coming off and he starts, he pulls his tongues, doesn't he, in the fans. And there's been other times where he's, he's, he's turned around and argues with fans behind the goal and stuff or sets made gestures and he's, he he can be erratic as well you know we, we, there's a lot of moments this year where he's, he's being erratic yeah. um, so I, I think it's just it's, it's all them things that kind of add up and when it kind of he has a game like he did against Newcastle they kind of build up as evidence to be thrown at him more than people going oh no stick with him he's, he's this he's that that kind of gets thrown at him and I think at the end of the day everyone in this country just they just love picking on someone don't they you know, I mean, if he, if he was the the French number three goalkeeper, but still, you know, Jordan Pickford or you know, I don't know, I'd say a French name in Jordan or something <laughs> like that. But would he get the same the same amount? Well, no, he, he wouldn't. But that's just the way this country is, isn't it? When it's used to sports stars, I mean, you the the best thing is in sliced bread one week and the worst thing in the world and a week after, aren't you? you know what I mean, it's it, it really. I mean, you look at you know, just going off a little bit off topic. You look at the rugby the weekend, mm. first half England rugby, the rugby team were getting unbelievable plaudits because they played Scotland off the park by the end of it people were saying it wasn't an embarrassment and a disgrace so <laughs> this this country loves not more sounds like heaven this, this country just loves not more than villains don't they and yeah. picking on, on issues and Pickford was just last week's villain almost and you know give it two weeks it'll be Harry Kane or you know Deli Alley or someone like that and it just it just goes in the cycle The View from the Gladys Street Podcast from the Liverpool Echo the view from the Gladys Street podcast. Silver's fine, twelve grand um, for his uh, improper conduct charge against Newcastle. You think that's was fair enough, or you think he was uh, hard done by? It happens, doesn't it? it interestingly enough, I was the, when you think about when Silver was appointed in July, and I think uh, to be char- charged twelve grand for you know confronting a referee, you would never have pictured anything like that happening once he was appointed the manager you know he, he you know he, he comes across and as this you know demeanor as a humble to himself not very erratic and not not one of these you know media savvy managers who just always want the limelight on them and, and will go off i.e Jurgen Klopp Jose <laughs> Mourinho hmm. so to see something like that I don't know it, it shows he has a certain grit about him yeah. and to be fair he can obviously afford twelve grand, can he? So, I mean, he was fuming, like wasn't he? Obviously, as you would be, yeah. From the two nil to three two, but one of them. I mean, Pochettino was given the touchline ban and fined ten grand. So, you know, I suppose do you think he's got off a bit lightly, really? Yeah, I mean, it's a strange one. This because it kind of coincides with the, the recent stories in, in recent weeks about managers and their behaviour. Because again, there just seems to be no sort of like level playing field when it comes to it because you see Pochettino getting a touchline ban you see Silver's fine 12 grand Klopp earlier on in the season was was fined the heaviest 
of all was because he approached him on the pitch but didn't get a touchline ban even, so though, no even, though, even though he'd had a previous one against Devon when you're on the pitch to celebrate and he got fined mm. so this just shows that there's just no consistency in, in these things and I mean like Tom says Watch Paul Grant to, to, to him, you know, he's, he's, I don't think it's going to dent his, his bank balance that much. And I think ultimately, Silva just shows what I think every Evertonian felt on that afternoon mm. and that they were fed up, <laughs> <laughs> angered, and he'd quite simply had enough. Just wanted a pint. <laughs> and yeah. he just wanted to let loose on someone and the referee got it full barrel. <laughs> Fair enough, as the referees deserve to get a full battle. Exactly. I mean, VAR's coming in, isn't it, next year? So hopefully you would expect to see less of that type of thing. <laughs> you don't you? know, do yeah. Could be worse, couldn't it? it? Could no, be worse. No, no one Everton. Um, all right, then we'll um, finish the last segment of the podcast off then just with just a bit of a quirky one. There was a, um, a website in France, France Football, who decided to do the top 50 managers of all time. Um, and... The usual suspects were in there, obviously Alex Ferguson, um, Wenger, and obviously a couple of others. But no Howard Kendall in there, Max. I mean, Jurgen Klopp was twenty-seven, I think. I don't have you seen the list? Yeah, I did. I love little things like this. Yeah. I, I find them really interesting because almost I feel like you know by publishing a definitive list of the fifty greatest managers of all time, those who you intentionally leave out are you know things like this, podcasts like this, they're going to flag up the admissions. What was it with Howard Kendall? I think it's two league titles, two FA Cups, three Community Shields mm. and the European Cup Winners' Cup, which mm. equates to a Europa League. I know, obviously, it's not quite a quite a European Cup, but as you say... Clubs, I mean, back then, it was, a, it was a European trophy. It was, you know, the top the top clubs in Europe were playing in it, so... Yeah, true. But I, I just feel like, you know, France, France football, in this instance, the... There are certain clubs slash managers who are just media darlings. And if you look at the list, you know, you'll see your who's who. You'll see your, your AC Milan managers from the 80s. You'll see your Liverpool managers. You'll see your Manchester United managers, Barcelona managers. So, you know, the uh, the big clubs with the big egos are going to, you know, they, mm. they'll be supported through lists like that. And it doesn't matter. We know he was a fantastic manager and he's probably, you know, he was our greatest manager of all time. Is it just disappointing that, you know, Everton are getting. It's, I mean, obviously it's Kendall as well, but even Everton, as as Max just said there, that you know you'd expect to see usual suspects and the clubs in there, but Everton aren't getting there. I mean, like say, it, it do, doesn't do really. It's it's not a definitive list. It's just a, it's just a talking point. So you know, it is it is what it is, isn't it? But you know, Howard Kendall was certainly probably in the top five English managers of all time. I would say. Everton though, isn't it? We never seem to make them type of lists, do we? And stuff like that. It's I just, mean, the lead managers in there, for God's sake. We just get overlooked, don't <laughs> we, on a continuous basis. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, the list, I've seen the list and there's quite a few notable sort of... Jaw drops. Jaw drops, yeah. I mean, I think Jürgen Klopp's above Arsene Wenger, which I found a bit strange. Yeah. I, mean, I know Wenger had a... You know, not the best events was Arsenal, right? But he certainly achieves a lot more than Jurgen Klopp has in in football management. I feel like it just could just be this this media and digital age. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you've got the managers that say that have been appointed post what two thousand and ten, and then you know they're they're on the front of every Sky billboard poster or they're on Sky Sports News all the time, and they, like they ultimately be, become you know the face of football from their country. Mm. And once they're exposed so much, I think that's why you see so many of the current modern day managers in there. I think that's the issue, isn't it, with, with, with Kendall, is that he never won a European Cup back then. And I think that's the thing that 
kind of puts you on the pedestals. Like if you go to a European Cup final or win, go one better than win one, it kind of puts you on that pedestal almost of mm. management immortality. Whereas Kendall, although he won the European Cup Winners' Cup, never quite wasn't able to get over the line in terms of a European Cup final. Mm. You know, there's obviously a lot of reasons behind stuff like that. Some, you know, went to clubs fault hands, and, yeah. and stuff like that. Um, but I'm sure that's another that's another topic for <laughs> another, <laughs> another podcast. I mean, Simeone's sure. in there as well. But, Simeone's number thirty-one. Well, but Simeone took for Alex together, and he took Alex. Let's go to two. No, I'm not. U- I'm just European Cup fans, like, hasn't he? I think he's a great manager. I mean, I've always kind of said I want him at Everton. Do you know what I mean? But and I think as well, it, the modern day world now. It remembers more stuff like that, doesn't it, than years ago? Mm. You know, years ago. Yeah, football didn't exist before 1992. Yeah, I, I think now you, you look at it and the Champions League's probably bigger than international football. Yeah. You know, if people win the Champions League now, it's bigger than we're probably winning the European Championships. Yeah. So, whereas back then in the 1980s, you know, people live for the World Cup. You look back at stuff like Italia 90, you know, stuff like that. People... It's what people live for. Now people live for the Champions League and watching the, the best play the best because they've got the best players in the world playing in the, in the in one competition. And Kendall was unfortunate that he missed out on that kind of era and I think ultimately he pays the price. Mm. Okay. Um, Everton free weekends this weekend. International football, are you going to be taking part in any international watching or are you just going to be doing doing your own thing? I'll probably watch Friday and play Don't you? Friday, I'll, yeah. I'll probably watch Friday night, yeah. My mum's birthday, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Matthew? You're going to be. Might watch a little bit, might dabble, might have a bet, but I don't know. It's not the same without Everton, is it? It was, it was funny, like before the um, the Chelsea game was walking up uh, with my mates and we were going, God, can't wait for it. Next weekend, there's no Everton playing. We beat Chelsea and I was like, got it, there's an international break now. <laughs> always, always the case. Absolutely yeah. devastated. So. Um, Obviously, next game is West Ham, isn't it? So, um, won't talk about that now, but there'll be plenty of podcasts next week which we'll be able to preview that game for. Um, just to finish off, uh, just to let you know that uh, Paul Wheelock is going to do a, a Q&A fans podcast tomorrow. I'll put a shout out on the Facebook group for everyone to uh, submit questions. So, if you want to do that, then then do that. And Paul and a few of the lads will answer the questions. So, that's set to be recorded Thursday the 21st, which is tomorrow. Um, Max, thanks for coming in. Much appreciated. Connor, thanks for coming in. Much appreciated as usual. And for those listening out there, thanks very much. And we'll be back with the View from the Gladys Street podcast next week. You've been listening to the View from the Gladys Street podcast from the Liverpool Echo.